Hey, Risto here at George Mason University. I'm here with Alba Rodriguez, who is a health and physical education graduate student, a PhD student here at George Mason University. Um, today, we're going to discuss two different pieces. First, an article titled Teaching Martial Arts in Schools, a Proposal for Contents Organization. And we're going to talk about a chapter uh, Alba co-authored, um, which is in Portuguese. Uh, and the title is Pedagogia do, do Jogo no Proceso de Ensino a Aprendizamem das Artes Marciais. How was that, Alba? Yeah, it's okay. Let's see. Uh, okay, so what little, give the uh, title in English here. So, Game Pedagogy in the Process of Teaching and Learning of Martial Arts. Uh, this is co-authored by Dr. Marcelo Antunes and uh, from the Federal University of Fluminense. Alba, is that correct? Uh, Federal University Fluminense, yes. Oh, see, very close. Uh, and Dr. David Kirk from uh, University of Strathclyde up in uh, Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, so we're going to discuss a games-based approach to teaching martial arts through combat games. And as a disclosure, I would like to add here that uh, there are power dynamics during this conversation. Uh, I am Alba's supervisor in the PhD program, However, in martial arts, she outranks me by two belts in jiu-jitsu. I'm a lowly blue belt, and Alba just received her brown belt. So there are weird power structures here, so I hope we can, uh, we can address that uh, through some, some theory that we can talk about about power. People know about those. All right, so uh, I put the full sites of these texts in the notes section. Uh, Alba? Welcome to your first ever podcast, and welcome to the HPE podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Risto, and thank you for having me here today. Um, I'm very happy of sharing one of my favorite topics and the great study of Marcelo Antunes. It's Marcelo Antunes. Um, he's very happy with this work. I also would like to thank David Kirk because he really contributed so much to this research. Not a bad team to work with. Uh, and I credit David Kirk for introducing us and uh, suggesting that you look up George Mason. So um, thank you, David. So let's talk about the beginning of this study. What, what's the background? What kind of led you to working in this area or just uh, researching this study? So for many years, I've been um, researching sport pedagogy in combative activities back in Brazil with Marcelo. Uh, that's where I'm actually from. Combative activities are part of physical education back home. So this leads a bunch of authors in Brazil, also in Spanish literature, to organize the content and think of how to teach martial arts pedagogically, especially in school settings. So even though martial arts is seen um, to bring many positive outcomes, teachers may have um, uncomfortable feelings of teaching it for many reasons, right? So. This can come from lack of experience. This can come by the idea that martial arts may be aggressive. And um, especially many misleading when we think about violence and aggressiveness mm -hmm. of martial arts. So we do understand that it can be a challenging task. And then um, just like other sports, you do have combative, combative sports are not thought for children or for People that are not warriors, let's say, you, yeah. you have that traditional approach to it. So thinking about this, uh, we've been 
working together to think of pedagogical ways of teaching martial arts, especially for children in the initiation process. So this is not a thing that only Marcelo and I have been thinking about. Uh, there's a lot of literature in Portuguese and Spanish, but we have found a lack of um, literature in English to talk about this. Um, organizing the combative activities have been thought about in many ways. So some people separate categories by objectives of martial arts, kind of contexts, types of techniques, or by distance between the opponents. Thinking about the distance between the opponents, this is what we've mostly seen in professional development courses, in teachers. We have many books that help PE teachers to teach martial arts, um, thinking about that and thinking about combat games. What this would look like is we would have close distance. Some people will call it continuous contact. These are grappling sports. Mm -hmm. You have medium medium distance that or inter intermittent contact that are the striking sports so for example uh, sports that have punching kicking and these kind of things and then long distance is so long distance or contact mediated by an implement are martial arts that use weapons so these ideas um, have been taught in peak programs back home and they they do help out some PE teachers that have strived to teach martial arts in school. Considering this scenario, uh, we also aim to develop a new proposal in these two um, studies, or mm -hmm. like the chapter and this article. We're thinking about new proposals to organize these content contents. The focus is mainly in sport initiation, and we think about children and youth. And the main thing that we bring is this idea of teaching martial arts through combat games. So let me ask you this before we go into kind of uh, the different modalities, where where does combative sport or combatives, grappling sports or striking sports fit in the Brazilian physical education curriculum? Because I understand it from the U.S. point of view of, you know, I've seen middle schools do uh, fencing with pool noodles and teaching going forward and backwards. Um, I've seen, uh, you know, high school physical education teachers teach a wrestling unit. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering how does it, is it way more popular? I mean, if we think about the sport that you and I both participate in, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, there's the word Brazil in front of jiu-jitsu. So I'm assuming that it's very popular there. Is it also popular in schools? Is it taught in schools? So it is part of the national curriculum um, in middle school, but there is a push to have martial arts since elementary, of course, elementary ways and, and really focused in games mm -hmm. when the students are younger. Uh, you do not really see it that much. Actually, what we mostly see is capoeira, much more than Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And is that is that because capoeira is often non-contact? So you're you're doing the movements, but it's like a rhythmic dance also, so it kind of hits two categories? Well, I don't, I don't really know what teachers think about when they're teaching, but when you think about PE teachers, they're or not going to teach the content. Uh, so in PE, they're or not going to go there, or they're going to teach combat games, and then 
teach the students a little bit about the tradition and the sport, like the history, the culture of these sports. Mm -hmm. I've seen this in elementary school, for example, teachers teaching Olympic sports, and then they'll teach judo and sometimes mm -hmm. bring specialists inside to teach that mm -hmm. and talk with the students about um, a sport that comes from Japan, for example, and then use that to teach culturally. Mm -hmm. What I did see in some other research I've done is that martial arts is normally taught after school. Mm -hmm. So you'll have in the school a teacher that teaches capoeira or teaches judo or teaches Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I feel judo and capoeira are the two that are mostly taught. Mm -hmm. yeah. One, because judo has been considered and is considered one of the most like the sports that most teach respect and and these kind of things even though brazilian jiu-jitsu also has that you do have those thoughts that maybe brazilian jiu-jitsu is more aggressive or something like that so these are just things that come up in mm -hmm. schools but again a lot of this is from one research i did that was very local to my city back home that i asked teachers about what they think they They do think that there are benefits to teaching it. They think the best way to do it is after school, so you would have a, a specialist. So that's why we're having this push of thinking of different ways of teaching martial arts so PE teachers could feel comfortable without needing a specialist right. to teach it. And that's why the combat games, that's why this idea of what are the common things that you have in martial arts that can help you teach this in school and not need a specialist. Yeah. No, I, I think the... The interesting part you brought up was about the Olympic sport, like labeling judo as an Olympic sport. We teach a lot of Olympic sports in physical education, but when you think about judo, wrestling, taekwondo, now karate, and so we have all these sports that are legitimate, long historical Olympic sports, yet there's like a category we just say, well, we're not teaching those, or fencing, because obviously there's a risk, right? But there's a risk in a lot of different sports, but we just like take out combatives often, whereas it is culturally and historically really important to a ton of different cultures. So um, I found that interesting, and, and I will say that I feel judo teaches a lot of respect for sure, but compared to jiu-jitsu, like no-gi jiu-jitsu, when a person's coming at me as a judo player and they're trying to grab my my gi and throw me on the ground I feel like that's aggressive so I, I stand by that yeah the, the thing about judo actually is because it was made to be educational right so Jigoro Kano really thought about this idea of you having phys learning physically um, educationally and spiritually so mm. you do have this idea that he adapted the jujutsu that was mm -hmm. before that to be something sportive. So mm -hmm. that's since the origin. And then when you think about the history of jiu-jitsu, for example, it wasn't really in that order. Yeah. So it's actually something that we're trying today is to show that Brazilian jiu-jitsu is not this really aggressive, but actually a really, really cool sport that teaches so many different motor skills and so yeah. many abilities. And, and you can practice jiu-jitsu, for example, without being thrown yeah. in your first class or something yeah. like that. So I do agree with you. When you do think pedagogically, and, and there has been a big push to see this. So for example, your gym, as well as, as Alliance, that's my team, 
they do separate in levels so students have that beginning safe start where where they won't be thrown to the lions Mm -hmm. as they Mm -hmm. say and have to survive that um and yeah so it's it's all about again martial arts itself is not beneficial or bad it's how it's taught right right so if you think about that these are why we this is why we have to continue pushing this idea of um developmentally appropriate making it a valuable and meaningful experience thinking about who is learning again martial arts weren't made or thought for kids or for elders or for students with disabilities or whatever they were if you think about like that big way back origin of like martial so it has to do with war. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have coaches nowadays that says this, like, yeah. this is war. So you need to learn how to defend yourself and how are you going to talk about self-defense with young children and teach them self-defense? Yeah. I, I don't know. That's a totally other topic, but um, and there are different opinions about it, but it can be something else, right? It yeah. can be part of your life. It can be something that you do because you really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And when I feel like if you like people who grew up in the 80s and 90s in the US when the Karate Kid was a really big thing, it led to like I I did a after school program in Santa Ana, California at the YMCA and I got my thing was like a yellow belt in karate. Like that's what I did outside of school, but that was never covered in school. And it was just something that my parents are like, oh, let's put him in this after-school program that he can learn some self-defense, kind of, or some different skills. And I remember going there, and it was, a like, a significant life event for me in the sense of, like, learning to punch and learning to kick. But yet, it's I think it's not the same as swimming, but it's like a life skill. Like, you need to learn how to swim so you don't accidentally drown when you fall off a boat or a dock or something like that. But we just can't teach it in physical education in the U.S. as often because there's so many safety concerns. So a lot of the elementary schools for, you know, in the last like 30, 40 years, and speaking from the California context, they covered their pools. Like they just like got rid of the pools because it was such a uh, liability of having a a pool in an elementary school, even though the idea was we're going to build a pool at the elementary school because it's something that you should be teaching. Because it's such a life skill. So I'll go back to the questions that I said I was going to ask you. Um, So you talk about understanding the common actions present in the different combative modalities that you mentioned in the literature. uh, Instead of specializing in specific contents of one modality. So can you talk a little bit more about that, please? When we think about the common actions of martial arts... Uh, the name that this is given back home, so in the literature by Mariana Gomez, is conditional principles. And the idea is that these are indispensable characteristics that denominate the practice of a combat activity. So, in other words, to consider an activity as combative, combative activity or a combative modality or a martial arts, you have certain aspects to it that needs to be present. Uh, these are, so Mariana Gomez is the one that we most reference about this. Of course, she built on work of other 
literature, but there are five key aspects to consider a modality combative. There is intentional contact, fusion of, a, fusion of attack and defense, opponent as a target, rules, and unpredictability. Rules and unpredictability is the same as in any other mm-hmm. sport, right? So you have to have rules, and it has to be unpredictable. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, just training skill alone is not unpredictable. Right. Uh, intentional contact means that the contact is a goal. So you do have sports that you have contact, but it's not the goal. So you're finding that space. So, for example, in, in handball, mm-hmm. it, it has a lot of contact. The, the game has a lot of contact, but that is not the objective of the sport, whereas in martial arts, that is the goal of Mm -hmm. um, the combative activity. Fusion of attack and defense. Again, thinking about other sports. Normally, you have one team attacking, for example, in invasion sports, you have one team attacking, whereas the other one is defending. And then that kind of changes. In combat combative activities, that doesn't happen. You're attacking and defending at the same time. Mm -hmm. The next one is opponent target. So again, the target is your opponent. You don't have an external goal or basket or something that you need to... It's actually the other person. Uh, Yes, and then I got all of them. Then rules and unpredictability. Okay. Um, And just as a total side tangent here, Ken Revisa, one of my professors in college, uh, noted that baseball and softball are the very few... uh, team sports that when you are on offense you do not have possession of the ball ever which was really weird to me it has nothing to do with combatives or this but it's it's a good kind of the fusion of attack and defense yeah and 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 the idea is when you're thinking of a combat game these are things you need to think about so yes you can think of a game that one is attacking first while the other is defending and mm-hmm. then the other way around, it's still a com- combat game. However, you you need to think about these aspects to think of... These are the aspects you need to think when you're thinking about com- combative activities mm-hmm. and combat games, right? Yeah. You can't just come out with this... For example, making a race where students have to uh, kick all the way to the other side of the mat. That's not a combat game. Mm -hmm. Like combat game, you need to have this unpredictability. You need to have this um, attacking someone. Yeah, exactly. Offense and defense and these kind of things. And then, of course, you can do, for example, you're right in the beginning. So then, yes, you can go, okay, one attacks, the other defends. Change. Now, both attack and both defend. So you need to get to that goal. You need Mm -hmm. to get to those aspects to consider it a combat game. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's going back to what we were just saying, it's all about through these key aspects, the student is learning self-space. The student is learning so many things that have to do with, um, with their activity. With, yeah. Yeah, what they're doing. So what's the new proposal you present in these, these papers in the, in the chapter? Okay, so this study started with Marcelo's reflection about this categorizing of martial arts um, and their common motor skill elements. 
he was really thinking and looking at this idea of, okay, this is me. He was also thinking about this idea of classifying it by distance. So, for example, this is close. This is medium. This is farther apart. So, what is the distance between? And then, with his understanding of martial arts, he said, this is this is not that easy. So it's, it's hard. So he was reflecting for a long time when he decided to share this idea with me, um, that it's an idea of categorizing it by actions. And this is what he used when he was teaching. What he did look at was normally motor skill elements. And then we discussed this idea of, it's not just a motor skill element because you can grab, but if you can grab something, it doesn't mean you can grab a gi in combat. So this idea of the game-based approach. So that's where we started thinking of other ways that we could go about this classification or, or this organization of contents. So in combat, you have to find the appropriate time to grab your opponent's gi, for example. Or if you don't do that, you're very easily going to be dominated by your, your opponent. And then you're going to receive a counterattack. Again, attack and defense at the same time. Rolling, for example, it's not just learning how to roll. Rolling is used in many combative activities as a way of protecting yourself when you fall to the, the ground, so when mm -hmm. you, you receive a throw. So practicing the motor skills in isolation and out of context does not mean that you will be able to successfully apply it in combat or in a game-like situation. So this this really aligns with other um, game-based approaches, and that's where we set off in this study. So it's also hard, as I just mentioned, to categorize the many martial arts with their techniques or their specialities. So for example, Kung Fu. If you have Kung Fu, um, in Kung Fu you have weapons. You have skills without weapons. You have closer contexts. You have striking techniques. So you have so many different aspects of Kung Fu. Where does it go when you're thinking about distance of combat? It's very hard to fit, fit mm -hmm. it in, right? Right. So by focusing on specific modalities, you set a difficult task for teachers who don't really have the previous experience to teach this content. And then it just seems a lot. Like you need to understand all of this and then you're trying to teach one modality or something like that. You need much more understanding of that modality. With ongoing reflection then, we started to move to a more tactical approach. And then we started thinking about the many actions that are part of the bodily expressions of combat. So in other words, our proposal is to move the focus from classifying the modalities to classifying the many possi possible tactical actions of combat. Uh, also, we had some discussions with David Kirk, and then David talked about this idea of model-based practice and having a model-based practice approach to martial arts. When you look at, for example, TGFU, right? Teaching Games for Understanding. You have different classifications for different sports, but martial arts isn't there. And mm. then this is very hard for you to find in... It's very hard to link martial arts back to model-based practice. Right. So this is an idea that we have moving forward from this, this research. It's mm. not something... It's just something that we start thinking about. This could be the contents 
um, organization for a future model-based practice, for example. Yeah. So, and I think it's interesting because if you think about who has these like neighborhood dojos or gyms, they're usually black belts in something. Like you're a Taekwondo black belt and therefore you have some sort of following and you bring in kids programs or you're a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and then people come into the kids program. Uh, and definitely an, uh, an average PE teacher does not have the black belt understanding uh, in Taekwondo or wrestling or jiu-jitsu, whatever the equivalent is, but they also don't have that experience in soccer or basketball or, you know, flag football, but they can learn to a certain degree to be able to teach it. And I think this is interesting, the way that you talk about it is bringing it down to a level that they can understand. They might not be able to do all four types of techniques, but they can start at the beginning and introduce them. Because I, I don't think that many elementary schools are going to like black belt level in any sport, really. So why why keep it from, from here? So I guess I'm wondering what is the what does the organization look like that we, we've been kind of talking about? Okay. So yes, I totally agree with you and just before uh, I answer the question, um, one thing that I feel in PE is that Teachers really feel this fear, maybe, of teaching martial arts because it's like a weapon. It's something that is aggressive or violent. And this isn't... If, if you see people who practice martial arts, that actually doesn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not... So... And every other sport, you do have safety concerns. You do have things that you need to think so I think that this organization, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about the safety, there are so many ways of you of adapting something that you're teaching in PE to make it possible and, and to teach students that this is a possibility. So one thing that's very interesting is that I come to George Mason in different times of the day, and there are so many martial arts that are taught or combative activities that are taught here, mm -hmm. and there are always so many people in there. Yeah. So... So many students don't get to learn these skills. So, for example, what other sport teaches you to move yourself on the floor? You don't really have that, right? Yeah. Like you don't really have that. And then you do have martial arts that teaches you that. What other sports teaches you your self-space in actually this idea that someone is trying to invade your personal space? Mm -hmm. Like, these are things that are so... You really learn these in martial arts. So they are skills that really transfer back to your life. That it's not just about combating, right? Like, I don't know. Sometimes you go to... COVID isn't allowing this, but we used to be in crowded spaces. If you know how to... You know your, your personal space. You kind of can always find your own space yeah. in the middle of people. So these are mm -hmm. things that transfer back to our, our life, right? Yeah. Okay, so going back to your question about what this organization looks like. We first provide a simple division of the possible combat actions that teachers can look at uh, when they're beginning to organize their objectives for class. So it's always focused on the objective first. What, what do you intend to teach? So first, the teacher will decide if they're going to teach actions with weapons, so actions with implements, 
meaning that um, they're adapting and developing materials that could represent weapons, of course. So these can be, for example, um, noodles. How do you call it? Like a pool noodle. Pool noodles, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that's that um, cylinder foam. That can be used as swords. You can have cones. You can have those long balloons, for example. Mm-hmm. One thing that we do a lot in in PE and professional development is actually making swords with newspapers. Mm-hmm. So you can use paper to make swords. And then the, this is also another part of PE where children are making these materials. So there are many possibilities here that you can think of adapting uh, materials, right, to use as implements. Then if the decision is to teach actions without weapons, you you have three types. So you have actions of throws, that is, a clo- it's closer to grappling, um, and more of the standing grappling, so you're throwing your opponent, you're thinking about base of support standing up, and these kind of things. Then you have actions of groundwork, and then that's what we've been talking about. Brazilian jiu-jitsu, for example, so how to move on, on, on the mat, on the floor. And then what we call action of percussions, but normally is called um, striking actions, such as punching, kicking, and these kind of things. Again, this can really be adapted, so instead of punching the student, you can have balloons and that students can hold balloons with mm-hmm. um, uh, a cord yeah. or something. Yeah, and like then a string or, a string or something. something. Yeah. yeah. So you can also adapt that. Or you can use the same noodles to as, have this as idea. Targets, of, yeah, yeah or, or as targets. Or even that could be your leg, for example. So instead mm-hmm. of having your arm forward and having that noodle, you, you have it as a leg so it's closer. Okay, so after you make that decision, the teacher can move on to the table. So there's this big table that provides the specific possible actions in those categories. In the table, we present the possibilities of actions that can be chosen as objectives. Each cell can be considered one type of action. Mm -hmm. Uh, A possible action of combat... uh, So each cell will be one action or a possible combat action or tactic that you can teach. Mm -hmm. Teachers can select one or a few actions to work on for each class. And we always suggest keeping it to the same category when you're beginning the unit. So right in the beginning, think of one of those categories and start looking at those actions. And then you can choose different actions, but try to keep in the same category. So you're not going from the feet to the back, throwing to then groundwork to then doing a strike, which would be like all three categories put into one. Exactly. And then you can start moving uh, forward, right? So let's say you start standing and then you're thinking about base of support and this is your first class. This is what your, your objective is to work on base of support so students can understand how to move while they're standing and these kind Mm -hmm. of things. And then you start moving to throws. So then you do all the throws. Then you go to groundwork, for example, and then you, you practice that. Then you can link them together. Yeah. So then you have the throw that finishes on the floor and you have something in the floor. Mm-hmm. So, yes. So, a few examples. Uh, let's say I decide to teach tactical actions with implements. I can look at the table and decide to develop a game that has an objective of touching the partner's body. 
Okay, you can also think of the footwork. So what type of footwork? You want to go back and forth, for example. Uh, a game could be simple as each student has a noodle that's representing a sword, and then the objective of the game is to, to touch the partner's fist or the, the partner's belly. The foam doesn't really hurt because it's, it's very light, so then you can just say, you can only move forward and backwards, and then the teacher just sets a place uh, so lines in that will limit that space and determine where they 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 can go back and forth. Yeah. So so a good example of a like a tactical game in a sense you have some restrictions. So you're you're isolating a s- specific skill instead of allowing them to run rampant everywhere and having this like you know fight that goes sideways backwards up and down. You're just saying. These are the restrictions. This is the parameter. You're staying on a line. You can use the foam noodle to protect your hand and your belly, or you can use it to attack at the same time. Exactly. Right? Okay. And then you can move. You can do like tactical games, right? Mm-hmm. You do that. You have the awareness talk. What did you do? What were the strategies? How did you do this? Students will share. They'll think about the tactics that they use. They'll listen to other students saying this is what I did. They're like, oh, I didn't think about that and, and stuff like that. And then you go back to a game that maybe you can expand that. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be back and forth. Right. You can like ex- expand that space and, and make it a little bit more complex, for example. Okay, so an example of a game without weapon. Let's say we're doing groundwork. Students will... So we're doing groundwork. The objective is for them to get... Let's think of a very beginner class that you really want them to start moving but also think about the tactical part piece of of groundwork so students will for example sit on the mat they'll have their backs to each other and then or the teacher can say go or the students can go one two three go and the objective is just to touch the toe of the other student while not letting that student touch your toe Mm -hmm. and this is a very fun game we've done it in professional development courses with Adults, I really use this a lot with my students. So I, with my children back home, I used to at least. Mm -hmm. And so I used to teach kids, judo to kids from six, uh, three to six. And these are types of games that they have so much fun. Okay. Um, And and a game that I have played with students in wrestling class too, of, you know, camps, kid, kid programs, you talked about, you know, starting back to back and I know, you know, lying on the floor next to each other or lying on your stomach next to each other and then coming up. So it's how to react to certain situations. And, and again, it brings that that idea of constantly defending and attacking at the same time because you can't just take a huge lunge and leave yourself open. And it, it's actually interesting to see students play these games because they have so many different tactics and some kid will just like sit on their feet and just like hide their feet, which you look at it and go, well, that's a very intelligent way to think. Like, what are you, what are you trying to protect your feet? If you hide your feet under your body, then you can never be tagged. But then it's very hard for you to attack. Exactly. And so then it exposes them by trial and error of, okay, well, that's great. But then you created a stalemate. And the other student will just stand up and wait for them to move, and nobody will move. 
and that's a possible situation that could happen. And then you explain, well, what's the spirit of the game? What's the purpose of this? The game is to score. So you have to take risks. And then you can, you know, spin that into a conversation about taking risks in competition. And so I, I actually love that game. I've, I've used it a bunch. We, we did this at the, at the university level at a collegiate room just to kind of break up and learn how to scramble because people would not, they'd be very specific and this is the move, this is how I do it. And to break that habit of taking risks and understanding rules, you have to have hips that are higher than your opponents. And if you do, you're going to be way better off. But then there are ways to kind of, you know, get out of situations when you don't break those rules. And when you break those rules, most of the time you're going to lose. Yeah, and, and, and you can think about, so for example, touching the toe, or you can ask students to come with old socks, and then the game can just be take the sock out of your partner, or have a belt, and then uh, you need to take the belt out. So mm-hmm. um, you have the knot, and then you need to take that knot out, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So this is a little bit, like the contact, of, of course you're going to have a lot of contact, but it's not having a kid really pinning down someone, like submitting someone in the ground. And then you can start moving to that, right? Because that's what you do. So, for example, judo has that, wrestling has that, Brazilian jiu-jitsu has that that idea of holding the person with their back Mm -hmm. to the floor. So then you can move to games that are more specifically of, okay, now you're lying on top of that student and you're holding them down. So it's just ways that you're moving from this comfort level of, I'm practicing this i'm grappling with someone but it's still just my toe Mm -hmm. now i'm already comfortable with that contact and that idea and then you start moving to something more like i'm holding you down with everything i have and i think that's the that could be a potential problem with people who are so embedded in a sport Maybe they've been wrestling for 20 years and they go run a kids club or maybe they're a black belt in judo or jiu-jitsu and they forget how uncomfortable it is to have somebody like touching you and on your part, like on top of you and how suffocating that can be for the first time. And if you don't reflect on that and, and some people grew up with older brothers or sisters who just like beat them up and that's just like what you kind of you you're used to that but coming from families that don't have that dynamic or you're a single child or whatever and you've never had somebody invade your private space like that I think that can be really problematic and reten retention and retaining students in sports or making students feel comfortable in a PE setting is if you just let them do that right away and you start to that and you're like whoa, I feel very uncomfortable. Mom, dad, I don't want to go back to this. Whereas we could have, like you talked about, slowly engage them in understanding what contact is. And then they're like asking. They're like, hey, let's do this. I see the older kids doing this. Can we do that? And then letting them go into that uh, kind of more intense, uncomfortable situation. And, and, And again, yes, this for kids another thing so you have both things so you have this idea of letting the kid getting beat up in the first and that isn't just for children think about an adult like the first time what's very common for the first day you ever practice 
whatever martial art. You just go there, you do that training, train the skills, isolated, and then just go and fight. Mm-hmm. And then it's your first class. You don't really understand anything about that sport. Yeah. And you're just thrown. Would it work if you do that for any other sport? Basketball, for example? Okay, you're going to practice dribbling in a straight line by yourself. Great. End of the class. You can play the game with yeah. this whole entire team. Yeah. But you didn't teach how to pass and you didn't teach how to exactly. shoot and you don't understand the rules of the game. Yeah. 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 So... Small-sided game in martial arts, we could say, is not just about... Because it's only two people normally. So, of course, you're doing like, okay, I'm train, practicing with you. And now change. I'm practice, think, practicing with someone else and then someone else. It's always going to be not a lot of people. So, it's not a team. However, you're isolating tactical pieces of an entire combat, right? Yeah. So, so, it's kind of like that. So can you give me an example of like a striking action? So an example of a easy game with striking actions. Yes. So striking action can be simply touching the shoulders, for example. So you have one kid in front of the other, and then you have to touch the other person's shoulder while you're protecting yours. And then you can change this to other parts of, of the body. So for example, you can touch the belly, you can touch the elbows, you can touch the knees if you want. If, if you have a sport like jujitsu that you can throw the person by grabbing, or sorry, back to striking actions. Uh, if, if you're thinking about places that you can strike on someone, so you can punch someone, you can punch them on the stomach, you can punch them on the face. Of course, in this case, we're thinking about safety. So mm-hmm. normally we do not practice um, touching the face. But it's just this idea of I need to be fast to touch, not grab, but touch. So there is the difference. Again, an activity of touching the shoulder or touching the belly or touching the elbow. It can also be a game for grappling Mm -hmm. because you also need to be fast to be able to do that. But it's also striking. It's also learning how to defend the parts of your body. And, and closing distance exactly. while still being able to leave that distance if you don't feel comfortable. Yes. Or to lead up to these striking activities of closing the distance and then getting out before your opponent understands that you're in the distance so you can clear out. Yeah, and, and you also practice, like, you, you practice, do you say faint? Faints, yeah. Faints, so you kind of let them, like, give them your shoulder and then you have to really understand that velocity that it's coming so you can protect it. And then as soon as that person is getting closer to you, you use the strategy to get that person yeah. closer to make it easier. So again, you're thinking about your personal space. What's the space of the other person? How is this person moving in, in this space? Uh, how can I make this person do something that would benefit me? And sometimes it's going to be wrong. So it's very fast game. This mm-hmm. game is a very fast-paced game. The teacher can actually change every... So you can start with touch the shoulders. And then you can... Okay, now we're touching the elbows. Now you need to pay attention to what I'm saying. And you're going to touch what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So I'll just go shoulder, shoulder and elbow. And these kind of things. You start also training this idea that someone out of combat can be helping you 
and yeah. telling you stuff in your corner and those things. Yeah. Yes. So you have this other understanding of the place that you're at. And then when, when we think back to our proposal, you can find objectives that you are using in all of these. So, for example, the one of touching the toe that I just mentioned for uh, before this one. You're working on uh, moving on the floor. You're working on moving in supine, in lying backwards, in lying uh, sideways. So you're learning how to change if you're in your back, if you're in your side, or these kind of things. So moving on the floor. In the case of, of this one, you can be looking at footwork. You can be looking at punching. You can use the noodles again to do um, kicking, for example, and then you're thinking more of the defensive piece of learning how to defend yourself from a kick because that's farther, right, mm -hmm. than, than the punch. So there are ways of adapting these games and really thinking about those objectives that are in that, those, that table that we present. So... So talk to me about when you're when the teacher's kind of moving through the unit and students are gaining more skills and tactical comprehension. Yeah, so so here we go back to that idea of the the categories. So you should probably start teaching one category as we mentioned. So for example, you can teach throwing actions and then move to the groundwork or you can teach um striking more with your hands and then you can start going to kicking and then you can use those balloons thinking about safety so you're kicking the balloons and not the students and mm -hmm. these kind of things so you start with punching and then you can move to punching and kicking mm -hmm. or you can start with only groundwork and then you start with throw and then you go to throwing and then you connect them so this really aligns with that idea of one thing that this will move to a model-based practice is thinking that these can't be really short units, right? Like you right. can't have this for three days and that's what you're doing. So you're mm -hmm. teaching groundwork for two days and then you're teaching throwing for two days. They're not going to get enough confidence and you can't move to those ideas that we just said of a little bit less contact, a little bit more contact. Now I feel comfortable with the context so we can actually move to something that looks more like uh, actual combat mm -hmm. uh, so that's what we suggest we always suggest that keep to one category and then you start moving forward and linking those categories together so you're increasing the complexity um, through the curriculum right so kind of in working to close out this podcast why do you think combat games is the best way to go teach combative activities to children and youth so, through combat games, we can achieve many outcomes that are related to bodily needs, expressions, languages, so bodily language, and um, we've mentioned some of these today. So, we can talk about the practice of different aspects of culture and history, even though we are thinking of the tactical actions, of course, you can go and have your students researching different types of martial arts, different type of sport combative activities and these kind of things. So learn about the culture and history of sports. Uh, we can learn the physical, the educational. We can have these social skills 
that really go hand to hand with martial arts. When um, you're in combat, you have to learn about your own limits and you have to learn about the, the limits of your partner. The content, the contact is so close and it's so intentional that building respect has to be part of the game. It's, it's not, it's something that is implicit because you start learning the differences between fighting against and fighting with the mm -hmm. other. If you hurt someone while you were practicing, you're not going to have a partner. It's yeah. just not going to happen. So this is the part of building respect, understanding these differences. So um, talking about this difference between what is fighting and what is combat is also taught and you can have a better understanding of violence and aggressiveness. As we have mentioned, that is something that teachers really think about when they're thinking of teaching martial arts. So it's actually a great opportunity to talk about these features, talk about what's the difference, what is violence, what is aggressiveness, how can we practice combat games and show that this does not mean it's aggressive. Um, okay, you also have students not repeating techniques through combat games. They're not repeating techniques that don't make sense and that are totally um, not con con contextualized mm -hmm. in their practice, not making sense. So when you think about combat games, they're fighting. So it's the same thing. Imagine it's the first time ever that you go to practice ballet mm -hmm. so you're dancing and then you go there and you don't dance for a child that really really wanted to be there mm -hmm. it's frustrating imagine yeah. you want to play basketball and you go to your first practice and you just dribble the ball around you just pass the ball in isolation and you never play mm -hmm. that's frustrating it's the same for combat so children watch movies like you said karate kid they want to go there and they want to combat if you have combat games, they're combating, they're playing, mm -hmm. they're learning this through unpredictability. Yeah. So they're challenging themselves. Yeah. It's the first it's, day in wrestling class or a wrestling practice in youth. The first thing you learn is stance. You have to have a good stance. Otherwise, let's not even get started. But the way it's often taught is being in a wrestling stance, walking around the gym or walking around the mats for like 15 20 minutes and your legs are on fire it's really tough it's not fun you have zero contact so if that's your introduction to you know wrestling or jujitsu like oh, i wanted to do like this cool move that i saw on tv or on the internet like and all you do is just walk around it would be like going to a boxing class and just working on footwork for the entire first day. It will work for a person who's super dedicated, who wants to be there, who's really passionate, and it might be the right way to teach, but if you lose that student in the first day, then you'll never teach them again. So I think that there's, there's a lot to that. And many times we don't lose that student to that modality we lose that student to combative activities. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that student has that... Kids, for example, we've had this happening, that kids practice something totally different that was a martial art. And then the parent was... Uh, would The parent was a practitioner, mm -hmm. and then they brought 
the kid in and said, please, I really want my son to really like this. And the kid wouldn't step on the mat because for that kid, I hate whatever type of combat. So yeah. you lose a kid yeah. to a whole modality. That is, again, you can start martial arts very old old in your life. Mm-hmm. If you're an elder, where can you start playing basketball? Where can you start playing yeah. soccer? Where can, yeah. where can you start playing um, practicing martial arts? Yeah. It's something that really can, when we think about this physical literacy and lifelong physical activity, it is a very promising practice, right? So another thing that's important to consider is the idea of this safety space, right? So we talked about the idea of games, but we also talked about the idea that it has to be safe. So you need to adapt this and have a safe initiation so students will feel comfortable to go through and continue practicing. So this is also very important piece of the pedagogical idea of having like these small smaller games or Um, tactical games that are more isolated and safer. Um, This doesn't mean that we're not learning skills. It just means that we're going to have the students having opportunities to try, to make mistakes, to desire to learn the skills that will make sense after they practice simple combat games um, and play, right? So... Some people, when we think about game-based approach, I've had many coaches in professional development courses asking me, so skills, we don't practice skills. Like, we will never teach. How are we going to teach the student how to do this? No, that's the idea of the tactical approach is you you bring the question before you give the students the, the answer. And this is really taking a step back and knowing that it's important to make mistakes. It's important to try and understand that there are ways that are more efficient and ways that are less efficient and talk about this. Have your students really in dialogue and saying, I did this, it did not work, I did that. So if you practice a game and you have that opportunity to think about what you just did, because sometimes you're in a game, you're having fun, you're not really thinking about what you're doing, right? If the teacher comes up to you and asks you, what did you do? And you can reflect on it and think, oh, I did this that worked or that that didn't work and let them try again and then you say okay so let's think of ways that we can improve this and that's when the skill will make sense and it will be meaningful yeah well i i think clearly your passion comes through on this stuff you're you're very knowledgeable in in your background of of these combative sports um i i like this idea of teaching through games especially in this combative area or martial arts or grappling sports uh in my background as a wrestling coach i can say youth wrestling programs have a lot to learn from this definitely there are programs that do this well but there are also those programs that hey i was a college wrestler and i'm going to teach this youth program exactly like a college program or a high school program would be and i think that that's just does a huge disservice to to the students who are there just to have fun. And I and I think, you know, people who are in power in quotes in in wrestling, they understand that that's an issue and I hope that there is a more games-based approach because we we need to widen that area of how many people get to experience the sport of wrestling. So, um so go ahead. Yeah, just um 
being a black belt doesn't mean you have the pedagogical content knowledge, right? Or the pedagogical knowledge, right? And it's the same thing as being an Olympic javelin thrower doesn't mean that you're going to be a good coach. So this is something that I'm very happy also to see a move. When I talk about professional development courses, um, as I have a couple of times in this talk, this is also something that coaches do know. They know that they know... they. They have the content knowledge. They really, really, really know these combative activities, but they need to learn pedagogically how to engage their students, especially in the initiation process. So there has been a movement to shift this idea of you need to be a warrior to be in combative activities. Or if you weren't born for this, then you're just not tough enough. That is also about pedagogy for pedagogy for sport initiation for children for adults for whatever you're thinking about um these two papers that we're talking about so the chapter talks a lot about the game-based approach and this idea that this can be used also in gyms whereas the article talks more the idea of the article was to start bringing something for physical education because this isn't a need as much as we have physical education in Brazil, there's a lot written there. But then in English, there isn't. So that's why we had this move for PE. But it's very important to say for teachers out there that think of teaching, that this isn't just a struggle of how to teach martial arts or combative activities for children is not just a struggle for PE teachers. It's yeah. also a struggle for people who, who really, really know what they're doing and what's the content and what's the what does it mean to be a combative activity so well Alba thanks for coming on really appreciate your time and uh, and the two papers we'll we'll link to those in the full text and typically at this point I would say thank you to you for producing this podcast and helping me produce this podcast but today I get to tell you in person that thank you for coming on the podcast and and sharing your work Um, I think one of the best things for those of you listening um, to share this podcast is to just share with another sport coach or a PE teacher, health teacher, if this is an episode that kind of strikes with you or just sharing uh, other episodes throughout, um, I think it can help grow this kind of virtual library that that, um, we've been creating over here. So Alba, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. It was very fun. If you're still listening, you're probably really into health and physical education. So I'm going to use this opportunity to pitch our master's program to you if you don't have your master's degree yet. Um, Our 100% online master's degree program we offer at George Mason is affordable. You can do it while teaching, and it's high quality. Um, Mason was listed as one of the top 50 universities under 50 years old in the world. Our education department was ranked in the top 10 nationally for the online master's degree program in curriculum and instruction. The master's degree uh, revolves around your teaching. So you'll use assignments from the classes to immediately apply research and best practices to your classes. You'll be part of a tight-knit cohort of health and physical education professionals who are passionate about teaching. You're also gonna get an opportunity to interact with students in other content areas. So if you're interested, you can email me, look me up on Twitter, or you can go on the hpewebsite.com under study with us and watch a video that I've made.